Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. I'm your host, Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity, and in the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you'd like to contribute to this sponsorship fund or this podcast, please join our patron community today. It's really easy, and it starts at a dollar a month. That's only about 25 cents per podcast episode. Go to patreon.com forward slash renew the arts to learn more. Recently, Justice caught up on the phone with uh, singer-songwriter John Van Dusen to discuss his life as a signed artist with Tooth and Nail, his testimony, and expanding the boundaries of what Christians are willing to call hymns. I'm really happy that we're getting to have this conversation with John Van Dusen. I've been a big fan for a while. Most recently, my second son got way into John Van Dusen's second I Am Origami record, Every Power Wide Awake, with the title track, Every Power Wide Awake, which uh, he listened to, it was probably like seven or eight, nine times in a row uh, at our house, just kept on playing it over and over again. And he's got his little Alexa thing upstairs. He just kept saying, play play Every Power Wide Awake, play Every Power Wide Awake, and he did it. Um, and it was interesting because he was filled with a lot of, of joy and inspiration, and I think reverence, uh, from the song, but my uh, 11-year-old daughter, my second of the twins, would just cry. Every time she heard the song, she would just cry. Eventually, I had to tell Ephraim, you know, I don't think we can listen to the song again because your sister's over here having a meltdown. But um, it's a really wonderful piece of work when not only it bears that amount of re-listening, but also when it has such powerfully profound effects on different people who are in different stages, depending on what they're able to bring to it and draw from it. So I really appreciate his uh, capacity as an artist, his honesty, his straightforwardness, and what he's able to do as a Christian artist, as an artist who is a Christian, um, making excellent work that is unique, um, is present an example in a lot of ways for a lot of us to look to, for how a person might be able to do it. And uh, even in some of those areas where he's still frustrated, it's a helpful guidepost for us as an audience and as a church um, of receivers of his work to determine what can we do differently, how can we um, alter uh, our ways in order to better encourage and support more artists like this. So I was really excited about this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as well. And here it is. Hello? Hello, is this John? This is John. Hi, this is Justice. Justice? Yes, that's my name, Justice. Hi, hi Justice. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time to to take a call. Of course. I'm I'm currently walking from my house to a park, and then when I find a shady spot, I will sit and won't be walking in the wind. So hopefully, <laughs> I, I can see the yeah. park. It's a block away, so I'm not too far. So you are home, but I thought you were on tour. Are you not on tour? Um, I'm not on tour. I was in Seattle earlier um, doing a radio interview, but um, 
No, I am not on tour. I do play uh, L.A. tomorrow. So maybe that's what you were thinking if you saw that on my schedule. Yes, I did. And yep. then, okay, so then later on, because I did pull up your schedule, I'm cheating. Um, August, September, October, it looks like you're in... I'll be in Europe. Well, in September, you're in Germany. That's yes. cool. Yeah, so September, October, there's about a four and a half, five week tour I'll be on. And almost every show is in Germany. There's a show in Switzerland, I think, and maybe a show in Denmark, but otherwise it's a German tour. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're kind of, you're kind of an, an odd bird for me to talk to because usually I'm talking to completely unsigned, uh, solo artists who, who, um, aren't really touring as aggressively certainly as you are and, and who are just kind of, uh, um, yeah, just completely independent. And I'm, I'm curious as to have you, have you come from that? Were you independent for a while? Are you currently signed? And what's it like to be a real musician? And I say that jokingly, (laughs) of course, but what's it like to be signed? Well, um, you know, music music has been my main thing for a long time. I mm-hmm. started performing when I was in ninth grade and started touring when I was a senior in high school. I released music independently, but at the age of 20, my band, The Lonely Forest, signed our first indie deal. And then the next record after that was released on Transatlantic Records, so it was an imprint of Atlantic. Um, mm-hmm. And then the record after that was on um, an imprint of Universal Republic. Um, so I've been on a couple majors, and then then I released my first solo record with a record label in Germany called Devil Duck Records. Um, but in the States, mm-hmm. it was really an independent release. Um, I had a record label called Monopath Records, but really it was just a logo and a name. It was just an independent uh, platform. And um, so now for the second solo release, that was purely independent, and that was by choice. Um, I actually didn't want anybody to release it because it felt kind of sacred and special to me, and I just felt like it needed to be um, on its own. And then for this third release i signed with tooth and nail records so i'm on tooth and nail records worldwide and devil duck records um in the eu and canada and nice you know it's weird being a signed artist because in some cases it doesn't really mean that much um in others it means a lot it means a lot of involvement and you know, collaboration with teams of people. Meaning just depending on the, on the, on the agreement, on the the agreement on the label itself. So for example, with devil duck records, there's, there's one main guy who owns the label who I talk to the most and then uh, a booking agent or two, um, with tooth and nail, you know, tooth and nail was, they started as an independent and then they were purchased by a major, I believe this is how it goes. Um, and then they were actually purchased back from the major by the man who started the label. So now they're, they're an independent record label again. And so they're, they're fairly small. Um, you know, they're, I visited their office today and there's five people there. It's really fantastic. It feels super healthy. And, um, and you know, it's been a privilege working with them 
And as far as being a real musician, that's such a, I know you were joking. Well, I definitely a, said that jokingly. Cause yeah. Um, yeah. It's such a funny world. I think the music industry has evolved. It's, it's hard to kind of even understand it sometimes now. It's just, how is it working and how are artists making money? It's all kind of, um, inside out a little bit. And so I think there are independent musicians making way more, way more money than me. And there are probably major label artists who are just in debt. And it's just the way it is. It's, it's a weird time to be an artist. So, yeah, that's definitely true. seems like it. So, um, the first band that you mentioned, lonely forest, yes, lonely forest. Um, was that similar kind of music to what you're making now, or or did you change it up uh, with the solo work that you did after that, and and what happened there? Um, it's not too dissimilar. It's the record I just released last Friday. Um, I'd say that that's probably the closest solo release I have. It's, you know, it's the closest to sounding like the Lonely Forest. Um, but the Lonely Forest mm. evolved as well. You know, our first record was a heavy kind of stoner rock pop record where it was all keyboards. There was no electric guitars, just keyboard, bass and drums. The second record, the only force release was like really loud, um, kind of noisy pop rock, electric guitar driven. Um, and so, you know, there is a common thread. Obviously I'm the songwriter in both cases. My voice is a feature in both cases. I'm writing the lyrics in both cases. So they're not too, um, different. I will say that my last yeah. record, Every Power Wide Awake, is probably the most, um, it has the most space between it and The Lonely Forest sonically. It's, it's, uh, I'd say it doesn't sound much like The Lonely Forest at all. So, um, gotcha. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, what have been the most consistent challenges for you for making music? Like what, what seems to get in your way the most? as far as, um, I don't know, just writing or production, what, what, what do you feel are the obstacles that might be particular for you in doing what you do? Um, I think I'm probably the biggest obstacle. I think I've always gotten in the way more than anything else. I think being mentally and emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy while releasing music is tricky. Um, when I was younger, I was obsessed with it and spent all my energy and time, you know, trying to make it happen. Um, and I think to this day, that's probably the trickiest part. How can I release my music in a way that is healthy and peaceful for myself and my family? Um, not get too caught up in the need to succeed or, you know, um, making sure that my, my stability isn't dependent upon how other people feel about my music. Those are probably the hardest things. Um, songwriting has always been simple. In my case, I've always, my productivity has always been high and I enjoy writing songs and I love recording. Um, I will say I hate the business side of things and I don't hate it because I hate business. I just hate it because my brain doesn't seem to understand it. And I, mm. 
if left to myself, I'm just self, I'm self sabotaging everything. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like the danger in my case would be to just shrink away and, re- you know, release all my records in a, some obscure form, you know, print 20 copies. Never tell right. us, never tell this. Yeah. It does seem like artists, um, and not even just musicians, but creatives in general, uh, really do well to be advocated for. Um, at least that's been our experience because it's really hard to, and I don't know, I think it could go both ways actually. I think that a lot of artists could get better at promoting themselves um, and that that would be helpful for, for them. Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly helpful to be, well, in the case of a label, obviously they're your advocate, but, but to have other advocates that are fighting for you and, um, supporting you and, 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 um, encouraging you in your work is, uh, something that we've really seen there to be a big need for. I think, you know, having people on your team who really care about your well-being that's also an unusual thing within the entertainment industry. I think, you know, there's so many horror stories of labels and managers just kind of in it for the the money or the exposure. Um, hmm. But for every horror story, there's another, there's three other stories that we don't, you know, hear about of managers and labels and good Lord, you know, everybody, lawyers and publicists who are, willing to go to bat for artists and really believe in it. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an extreme privilege to have people on your team. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, the, I am origami, um, series and how the second one was sonically different pretty much from certainly your, your earlier work. But it seems pretty different from even the other two in the series so far. Yes. Um, and thematically, also, it stands out. Yes. Um, it, 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 there's, there's a very different... There's a spirit of that album that seems to have um, a little bit of a shift um, from your previous work. And I don't know if it... I don't know. What... Why might I think that? Well, even if I'm wrong, <laughs> I don't think you're wrong at all. I think the most obvious answer is that every song on that record deals with my belief and love of Jesus. So clearly, it's it, it, it the bedrock of every song lyrically is my faith. Um, mm-hmm. The artwork is worshipful, um, even if it's not, you know, a a typical worship or Christian record, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, that's really what it is. So the spirit behind it is one of worship and um, love and adoration on a spiritual level. Um, yeah. I think the other records are, they're spiritual in their own way, but not in, not in such an explicit way, if that, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And so... If there's this series of part one, part two, part three, um, are there are there more? How many will be in this series? Do you are, do you know yet? Uh, five. 
That's my plan. Five. There were supposed nice. to be four, and then I felt like five would be more, um, would give me a better chance um, end it on the note I wanted to end it on. Yeah. So um, if the second one is significantly different, what's the theme, if there is one, that's tying all five of these records together? I mean, the theme is that it's about, it's my story, my own human experience. I think I included part two in it because I, I didn't want anybody to divorce that record from the others because I feel like it's an important piece of the puzzle. And if I'm going to offer a whole picture of who I am as a person, um, I needed that in there. Um, and I needed it tucked in next to the record that's, you know, where I'm kind of frustrated and angry and sad and um, lonely. It, it felt like it was a really impor- important piece. Um, yeah. My plan with part five is to try to kind of bring the sacred and the the profane, you know, the secular and the spiritual together a little bit more on one record so that it feels like kind of like a, a proper end. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that someday I can release them all together. That was my original plan was to release like a box set of five or four. Um, really wanted to be able to package them together in a way that, so it's like a series and, and even the series itself has its own art and then each individual, you know, vinyl or CD or whatever has its own record cover. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're really the theme other than that. It's like a, it's almost like my testimony. It's a story. So. Ah, I love it. Speaking of cover art, actually, um, the cover art of this latest one, a catacomb hymn is very interesting. Um, and so I guess people who are listening can't see it, but basically it's this shot from over the right shoulder of what seems to be like a riot policeman into the face of who I assume is a rioter. And this guy is just, I don't know. He's just he's, screaming. He is yeah, seething with apparent. Yeah, he is absolutely like, I don't know if I've ever seen such a great depiction. His hands are like curled up into these claws. Like he's grasping like invisible balls. And he is just, you see the veins in his neck and stuff. And, um, but his eyes are, are obscured by an overlay of of some type, and I'm not even exactly sure what it is. So anyway, it's a very interesting album cover, and I was wondering what your thoughts were behind it. Um, well, I mean, when I first saw it, I just loved it as a piece of art. I love analog collage. And so this mm-hmm. artist, this artist Hugo from Lisbon, he has been one of my favorites for a few years. And... I've been trying to get him to do art for me for a while and I couldn't really nail it down. And, um, and when I was flipping through his, his archives, I saw that series of the two rioters and there was a couple others that were kind of a part of the same little series. And I think it just visually represented how I felt while I was making and, you know, writing and recording songs. It's kind of like this. I just need to yell a little bit and I want to yell 
but I want it to be colorful and, and, and not just fun, but, um, yeah, colorful. It's the best way to describe it. And so when I saw that with the, the mask of over top of the rider, he's got that, that analog collage mask. Um, mm-hmm. I just really, really, really loved it. And, um, felt like it matched the energy of the record. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I want to take just a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. Without your help, we literally couldn't afford to keep doing this. I want to offer a special thanks to our newest supporters, Lauren Midgley and Abigail Johnston. Thank you so much for supporting us. And if you, yes you, listening right now, would like to contribute to this podcast and this movement, please join our patron community today at patreon.com forward slash renew the arts. So part two of the series is the one that you were talking about, which is really explicit about your faith. Um, Was that a recent development? And so then you wrote and released that album or has it been, has your faith been pretty consistent for your whole life? And it was just something that you came around to expressing in this particular way. That's a great question. I was raised in the church and didn't understand what any of it was really about. And then when I was late teens, early twenties, left the church, left my, left the Christian faith completely, I guess, became much more abstract. My, my spiritual ideas were, um, you know, kind of shapeless and abstract and, um, came back to my Christian beliefs, um, in a more solid manner, maybe around 2010. And then it, it really, it didn't hit home for me. It was as if I knew I believed in God and I'd had a couple spiritual experiences. And so I decided I was a Christian, but there wasn't any real transformation within my life. And it wasn't until 2012, um, that I began to like experience true, I don't know, spiritual transformation. And that would have been when I started writing songs based upon, you know, that those experiences and based upon my prayer life and stuff. And I'd had a couple written. And then when the lonely forest ended in 2014, I flew with my wife to Germany and was, we were gone for seven months. And that's when I started writing more seriously, you know, um, almost what you'd call like meditative prayers, um, liturgical, you know, hymns for lack of a better term. And, um, I knew I wanted to compile them into a, you know, a big art project. I just didn't really know what it was going to look like. And we came home from our trip and I was, I didn't have a job and I had all the time in the world and I just knew I needed to do it. It's like, I knew in my gut, like I needed to get away and almost treat it like an art project. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I was given a, a cabin on Orcas Island for a month. And I took all my mobile recording gear. My friends helped me set it up and I just spent 28 days and oh, wow. it, it all kind of came out. 
Um, and I had, I recorded it in other spots too. I've kind of pieced it together, but the bulk of the recording happened there. And it's interesting. I think the reason that record sounds differently is because I treated it more like an experimental bedroom record than I did a studio record. And honestly, it was maybe the most fun I've ever had. And I'll probably, Oh really? My goal right now is for part five of the series to do the same thing. So to mm. kind of lock myself in a, place where i have a ton of toys and make the weirdest record i can basically and me making a weird record is it doesn't mean it's going to be weird it means i'm just going to try to make it weird it'll probably still right. be very simple and straightforward but you know i can try <laughs> <laughs> i can try i can try yeah. i can try <laughs> the uh it's interesting that you mentioned hymns because that's actually a, a catacomb hymn is the title of your your third record, which is the one with the rioter and the one that has a lot of angst. Uh, any intentionality in calling that record a hymn? Yes, very much so. Um, I'm sure there I is. Kinda, I guess I'm asking why. <laughs> no, that's great though. I mean, maybe it just sounded cool. I just thought that sounds cool. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know, growing up in the church, growing up listening to Christian music, and then leaving it all and you know, making music in a secular world and, and realizing that I just had a distaste for almost all things Christian art, at least Christian art made in the last 25 years, and, you know, wrestling with what it means to make music as a Christian. I just, it's kind of a, maybe I'm being stubborn or silly, but it's really just a way of saying like, hey, I don't mention my faith. And I sing about like suicide and depression and being angry and it's loud and it's aggressive and it's noisy at times. And what do you think? Like, could it, could this be considered hymns? And so a catacomb, I just really love tombs and I really love like graveyards and I love visiting catacombs in Europe. And so I think something about being underground where people have been laid to, to rest and their corpses are around you. It's just very intriguing to me. And so I think as I was putting these songs together, I was thinking that's kind of how these songs feel. Like I'm isolated. I'm lonely. I'm frustrated. I'm scared. I'm depressed. I want to die. Um, and yet a couple of the songs I would consider worship songs straight up. Cause I'm, I'm singing to God and I'm just being really honest with him because clearly God knows how I feel and it's not a surprise to God that I'm suicidal. And so to be able to come before God honestly and say that in song to me still feels like a hymn. And that was the intentionality behind it all was to, you know, marry those two words, bring them together in a way that felt good and unusual. And um, I also love the idea of naming it, catacomb him right after releasing a record that many would call a worship record and right and just it's almost like a little it makes people do a double take hopefully and think right wait these are your hymns yeah yeah exactly yeah and i love it i love it thank you thank you justice if you oh oh yeah uh if you and i'm sure our listeners get tired of me bringing up the psalms but like if you look at the psalms so many of them sound so much more like this record than your last record. And I love your last record. That's not even like, well, I guess there are Psalms that sound like that one too, but 
there are psalms that sound like both, and and to categorize them both as hymns, which you've already done in this conversation because you mentioned Origami Part 2 as being hymns, but then obviously the title of this one is hymns. It's really appropriate, and I think the church has lost a grasp on what it means to to um, to be honest in the ways that we're not perfect yet. And that sounds so obvious, but but practically speaking, it's not there. And, and people really have to maintain a pretty good, um, especially like worship artists. Gosh, can you imagine writing as a worship artist no. in this, you know, current church culture? Um, I mean, I, I kind of see myself as one, even though I know I'm not, you know, it, well, obviously, yeah, yeah, and we 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 agree on that. I mean, like, um, you mean you more, were, more like, culturally as like what if you were to walk into a a church today what, and say, you know, what's your favorite worship artist? I know that's what exactly, you're, yeah. exactly. And if it was your job to be writing those songs, oh man, but you had an off day or an off week or a couple off years, uh, there's no room for that, and I think that that's a real pity because it does it not only isolates the people who are feeling like that but it there's some grace that you miss out on right yes absolutely well i say this a lot and i know it can sometimes just seem trite even but like you can't if you can't be honest about the bad then the the good loses all of its power you know what i mean like you can't yeah if if we're only going to talk about our moments of you know, spiritual bliss. Well, I don't know anybody who maintains spiritual bliss 24-7. The only people I know of who have lived that way are long dead. And um, <laughs> I can think of a couple. Who, yeah. And I just, yeah, so I'm with you, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that um, it's funny. I literally just came from a church where I was discussing this with an associate pastor, and she was just saying, like, everybody's just craving something real. Like we're desperate for it. Like we we're so tired of the Christian facade. And so it's good to have this conversation again, only an hour later. Yeah, that's fascinating. There's a train going by my house. So you might hear that. I hear it. Sorry about I hear that. It. Yeah. Sounds cool. But yeah, so I love, I love that you're actually, uh, even in the title of the, the album that you really uh, draw attention to that. Um, have you found other artists that are, um, kind of pushing the envelope in, in that way as well? Like, who do you listen to that, that you really find a lot of encouragement from? You mean in a spiritual sense? Um, in a spiritual sense, but also just in a sense of honesty. Like, like, who do you, who do you listen to that refreshes you? That's like, oh man, these, these guys get it. I mean, I have some friends and peers who make music I find refreshingly honest um my label mate tyson motzenbacher um i think tyson's a great songwriter and he he's really honest and he's funny and his humor he has a dark humor about him that i really really love and um he's not afraid to put that into song which i think is fantastic um my friend noah gunderson is similar except for he's on the other end of the spectrum you know he's not a believer and um i think noah's 
kind of made peace with who he is and he sings about it and it's that refreshes me um i mean frankly anybody who's just honest with where they're at i find um comforting um most of my favorite songwriters right now are are women and i i can't say that any of them are making um christian music or you know spiritually centered music um but my favorite songwriter at the moment the last couple of years honestly has been greta klein she goes by frankie cosmos um Mm. and her music is i think her music's totally spiritually enlightening um um she's she's very vulnerable and clever and I don't know. I just, I often tear up listening to her sing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I could go on and on. Honestly, I could. Um, I'm trying to think. But that's great. Yeah. Do you know who Half-Handed Cloud is? Yes. Yes. So, so John Ringhofer is a good example of somebody I really respect. And I love John because he, his songs reflect his, his belief, his faith. Um, but he channels it through the most avant-garde, you know, weirdo recording techniques. And he's just so out there. And I actually really love that as well. I find that incredibly refreshing because, you know, he's not moody and broody. He's not, he's not singing about his depression. He's just singing about his faith. It's like a lot of his, almost a lot, well, a lot of his songs are just scripture. And yet it's some of the weirdest music you've ever heard. And that also really encourages me because I think yeah I think God is super weird I think existence is super weird and so I don't understand why we're not making weirder art that reflects it (laughs) yeah Halos and Lassos that album I listened to when I was pretty young I'm gonna age myself here but I think in high school I wore that album out quite a bit and it was yeah he's great um he did the horns so, yeah. and some tape loops and noise on Every Power Wide Awake, part two. Oh, cool. Oh, so, yeah, y'all, are, so y'all are actually connected. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And he sings in which track? He sings in I Am Nothing um, and the interlude. That's just actually just him singing on the interlude. I don't even sing on that. Um, mm-hmm. He also sings a song or two on the the D sides, which are the basically the every part of awake B sides. Right, right. Well, that's great. The uh, as I'm thinking about that album now, I just recalled the song. All is it? All will be made well. All shall be well. All shall be well. Sorry. Um, that is an incredibly peaceful song. Uh, which again is in great juxtaposition to a lot of the other music that you write, but that song is fantastic, man. Thank like, you, thank you very um, much. Yeah, I was talking with Michael Minkoff, the co-founder of Renew the Arts and the president of the Nehemiah Foundation, and um, he mentioned he was talking to someone after church one day, and in that line, like he was just having a conversation and, and trying to encourage them. And, and that line just popped in his head and he, and, and he encouraged him with it, just that all, all will be well. And, um, 
And then from then on, it was just stuck in his head <laughs> for a really long time. <laughs> and he told me that and, uh, and kind of sang the part to me and I'm familiar with it. And so then it got stuck in my head for a super long amount of time, still kind of is. And it's, it's just, there are some of those earworms that, um, it almost verges on meditation yeah. where you just kind of get stuck with an idea or a melody um, or in the best scenarios, both together. And, um, and it just kind of resonates with you, you know, it resonates with, with what you're going through or just how you're feeling in a certain season. And so, um, yeah, and definitely could be, can, is, is, basically meditative and um so anyway i guess i was just saying that because i wanted to encourage you because that song has done a lot of good for for at the very least michael and me and i'm sure a lot more people <laughs> thank you thanks for saying that yeah yeah so it's a great <clears throat> all of the uh all of the 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 whole series is has been great so far do you know whenever you're going to release part four i don't know um Tooth and Nail has the option on that record, and so in some ways it's in their hands. Um, I would assume next year. Gotcha. Um, would it be fine if we leave our audience with a song from this last record so that they can listen to it? Yeah, of course. Um, which, which song are you thinking? That is a good question. So we've definitely kind of been contrasting... Um, part two and part three. Yes. So, man. What if you played All Shall Be Well, which is pretty short, and then played the song You Don't Know What You're Asking of Me, which is, I think, yeah. probably one of my favorites and most potent on the record, and it's cool because it has Dave Bazan of Page of the Lion singing and um, some other friends singing, and I just, um, I feel like the juxtaposition between the two would be interesting. Absolutely. So we're going to play All Be Well first. All Shall Be Well. I'm so sorry. You're, you you're fine. <laughs> and then we're going to play uh, You Don't Know What You're Asking. Awesome. That's a great idea. Okay. Well, we're going to leave them with that. Enjoy. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the Thank you for the stars at night and the darkness too Bless you for your peace Bless you for your grace Bless you for your perfect love and your perfect ways And all shall be well All shall be well All manner of things shall be well and all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. Use me as you will, remove my selfish pride, create in me a servant heart to bless your holy bride. And when my work is done, and the seeds are sown, Please receive my spirit, Lord, and welcome me home. And all shall be well, all shall be well, 
All manner of things shall be well And all shall be well All shall be well All manner of things shall be well of your own And when are you gonna start showing up at church And when are you gonna sleep Sound me through the night 